I may have gotten more than I was bargaining for when I said, give me your questions. We skipped a Q&A for one week, and you guys came back with a complete avalanche of really fantastic questions, but more than I'm typically accustomed to handling. So we're going to get right into it. We're going to go to Q&As, and I'm going to do my best to plow through this incredible list of queries from you guys. Thank you so much. It's the Stazapod. Let's go. Back to Lance, I have two friends who make amazing cast uh, figures out of resin. Uh, one is even a regular Knights of the Slice customer. However, these resin casts are made by mixing and casting and matching pieces of other vintage toy lines. What are the legal ramifications concerning IP and fair use? If anyone would know, it would be you. Lance, I would refer you to Destazapod number 122, Copyrights, Infringements, Homages, and More. That was released on, it looks like, March 8th of this year. I I cover this and a whole lot more. Uh, Generally speaking, if you're making, you know, two or three or four or five of something and uh, selling them as resin, I think you're generally covered as it being artistic expression. Uh, I wouldn't be too worried about, you know, the legal ramifications or cease and desist letters. Um... Spiritually, however, I would say it's always better to create your own stuff than to sort of lean and reuse what's already out there. Now, I myself am being a complete hypocrite in saying that, but even so, I would encourage everybody as they're sort of starting their own creative expression and projects, try to find something unique. Try to find something that's you, not to just, uh, you know, cover a song, as it were. Also from Lance, I have a strange memory of an action figure my grandmother bought me in the 80s. I can find no listing of it anywhere. But what I remember, it was gooey, stretchy, rubber black body that came with hard, plastic, full body armor. The body was consistent with those quarter machine sticky hands. And the armor was snapped together, a case that kept the figure together. Do you have any idea what I was, what I'm talking about? I'm completely lost on this and have been for years. Lance, I have the solution for you, buddy. This is also a line that I had that I love very much. Now, in the U.S., you want to be looking for tacky, stretchoid warriors from Bandai. However, that is not what this line is. This line is Ninja Jiraiya. Um, Sekai Ninja Sen Jiraiya, which I'm probably mispronouncing. Um, Famously, Jiraiya also has a toy line that is compatible with Metalder Ghost Bank that mask scale figure line that I love so much. So there's a a ton of great Jiraiya stuff out there that you are going to encounter and uh, start exploring. The Tacky Stretchoid Warriors are very, very interesting packaging. The bios on the back of the figures are great. I think Toy Galaxy has a pretty comprehensive look at this toy line. You might want to check that out. Um, As somebody who owns both the Jiraiya versions from Japan, and the Bandai versions uh, in the U.S., I can say that there is not much difference in the figures other than the Japanese versions come in a styrofoam box with a slipcover, and the U.S. versions come on a card. There's a slight difference in some of the plastic color uses, but largely you're getting the same experience. There is also, in the Japanese version, a uh, higher-end sort of die-cast version of these characters with with uh, magnetic feet, which is really, really cool, but not easy to come by. Also from Lance, I have been collecting the King Walder from the vintage Henshin Cyborg line for years. I have an issue where my Green Walder's left foot was broken. I have an extra yellow foot in its place. I've been trying to trade or find a vintage green foot for seven years. My friend said just to paint the yellow foot with Tamiya transparent green. Should I give up on getting the correct part? Just jury rig it. Uh, what do I do for this kind of thing with incomplete figs? What's my opinion on having complete figures? Um, I would say, honestly, I don't have very many complete figures. And uh, I'm just not focused on that. Uh, I lose accessories all the time. I always have. Um, I understand that I'm in the minority there because most collectors like to sort of keep things together and complete. I, I don't. I just don't look at collecting that way. I look at it as what makes me happy about a figure and, um, you know, that's sort of the, the entire basis of it. 
very rarely is it that I need every sort of piece that goes with a figure, uh, especially harder to find ones. Um, I think, you know, trying the Tamaya Transparent Green is a good choice. I would just say try to find a yellow uh, piece of plastic similar to that and test it out first before you go with that. Um, I have also bought uh, duplicates of that figure, you know, a figure I was trying to repair and just scrapping it for parts, which is probably going to be easier to do than just honing in on trying to find the uh, foot that's missing. That would be my best advice. Another one from Lance, what's my opinion on the recent year delay in the release of Dune, and any thoughts on the salvation of the cinema industry? Um, well, I think we have to rethink all industry, you know? I think that um, there's a myriad of reasons, and it's too dense to go into right now, but I think that uh, business as usual is never coming back. So all of us, uh, as a collective species, are going to have to rethink how we tackle business, what the important things are, and realize that there may not be going back to a lot of this. I think that, um, you know, there's going to be profound changes to all service industry, and really, maybe it's not so great that the U.S. is largely a service economy. You're starting to see the holes in that and how that affects GDP when we have almost a, you know, a mono-industry country it's uh it's pretty terrible i don't know um if cinema chains can be revived i think that uh probably some of them are going to go away forever some will bounce back assuming we have vaccines and we have the right amount of coverage and um you know that uh people want to go back to there we will probably need some sort of drive-in update, some kind of technological advancement to the drive-in experience that will allow us to do this year-round. Um, I've been frequenting the drive-in theaters here. I'm lucky enough to live in, you know, a pastoral rural area where there's three different drive-in options uh, pretty close by. Um, obviously, there's limitations on that in the wintertime, but I, I think that uh, with all the smart people we have in this country, we could come up with a way to view a movie in that fashion because it seems to have been a, a relatively safe way to do it. And even if we're just trying to tackle this pandemic, there may be other pandemics down the line. So I don't know what's going to happen with the cinema industry. I don't know what's going to happen with the restaurant industry. I would say everybody should be preparing for some sort of new reality where these things can no longer be taken for granted. Uh, they have to evolve to the new likelihood. Um, my opinion on the specifics of Dune being pushed to 2021 is that that was truly the only thing I was looking forward to this year. And uh, if you need any further proof, we are stuck in the Demiurge, and this is not actually reality. I think that's it. We can't even have one nice shining beacon. That gets pushed to the next year as well. Um, there was no way in hell I was going to theaters this year as it was. Uh, maybe this means me, Bobby, and Josh get to see it together next year, which would be, uh, you know, the appropriate way to do it. So, um, you know, I guess that's, that's my feeling on that. Gavin Raider, how are you with toy rescues? My girlfriend recently found a vintage Jolly Green Giant Little Sprout vinyl figure stuck in the riverbank, missing a head and arm. Might be good hob fodder. Knowing me, she collected it, and now my plan is to clean it up like an ancient relic. When you see an old toy, worse for wear, you let it be, toss it in the trash, or give it a new home. I definitely, I take it with me. I try to clean them up as best I can. Um, the one thing I won't salvage, and that I will toss in the trash, is if the toys are have a uh, mold on them. You know, uh, specifically what looks like black mold. I don't know if it is black mold, but y you know it when you see it. And uh, I have in previous times tried to salvage those toys tried to sort of give them the alcohol bath and scrub down with a toothbrush. But now I'm at the point where it, the, if it's that far gone, they just don't really get clean from that point. So I do tend to toss those. Also, um, very, very sticky plastic, which means the polymers are sort of starting to break down and degrade. Um, sometimes I will throw those out as well. Moving along, Sean Gordon. Did I ever watch Syphil and... 
uh, silly show on MTV. I think you meant to say Syphil and Ollie. Uh, what price would it have to be paid for me to do a nice a slice commercial, Precious Roy style? Um, I saw it a couple times. I'm not so well-versed in that. My sister loved that show and watched it religiously. I don't, unfortunately, know the Precious Roy uh, reference, so I am a complete loser. Lance is back at it. What level did I pledge for Mighty Maniacs, if I'm comfortable answering? I did the $350 level to get a uh, prototype, so I'm very excited about that. Another one from Lance. Besides the knight groups, the battle tribes seem to be the most active. Do I participate in that line, in that group? Do I wish that the other lines, like Zoldis, had their own Facebook groups, or do you think that online glios groups are too stretched as it is? Uh, Eric chimes in, from everything I've heard him say on the pod so far about limiting social media and being stretched thin, sounds like we're lucky to, that he participates in the Knights of the Slice group. Um, I do, I participate in the Battle Tribes line. I try to buy everything they release. I try to, I try to make a good effort to buy all of the other Glios creators' stuff. I am often, you know, just not paying attention to when drops are and things like that. So, I'm not very good at it, but I do... In an ideal world, I would be buying everybody's stuff. I do not participate in any other Facebook groups. Um, I don't... uh, Yeah, I really try to minimize my time on there completely. I don't even go to Facebook.com. My browser tab brings me directly to the Nice to Slice Facebook group, so I never see anybody else's posts. Um, I would advise you guys do that as well. Going to the main feed in Facebook, I think, is really detrimental to the brain. And if you are on Facebook for specific communities around specific hobbies, just visit there. Don't go anywhere else. It's, uh, you know, it's all about limiting your exposure to the radioactive nature of, of online. Um, Eric is right in some respects. You, you know, you are lucky I do participate in the Knights of Slice group on Facebook. At some point, I probably will check out of that because it does take a lot out of me. In that case, I will likely assign a proxy who will keep me abreast of what's happening on the group, um, post things on my behalf, and, uh, you know, X, Y, and Z, because it it really does eat up brain power, and I need that brain power to focus on fulfilling your orders and designing the next toy. So at a certain point, I will have to check out of that as well, but you will always have uh, my ear on Patreon. Very interesting, thoughtful question from John Walsh here. In the latest pod, you discussed uh, that at this moment, the demand for Nice to Slice is higher than the available supply due to an uptick in new customers. With the pod being so insightful as to how the back end of all this works, it got me thinking. One, do I try to forecast growth? Two, obviously pandemic changes uh, forecast, but do I feel it's been helpful when placing orders? Three, when do I feel the current de- supply and demand levels will balance out? Four, is the balance of supply and demand something you wish to achieve, or do you want it somewhat limited supply? I believe in previous pods you were in favor of a balance to both, but I cannot remember. So there's a lot of great stuff here, and um, I think the overall answer is that I don't know, and I don't think you can know. All of this is guesswork in a lot of respect. Um, to start at the beginning, do I try and forecast growth? Not really, because I, I've only ever been wrong when I try to do that. So right now I'm about to place an order for a figure that will not see the light of day until probably April or May. So do I order what I believe our customer base is right now? Or do I wait to, or do I add plus... 10% plus 20% for what I feel our, you know, customer base will be next year? Uh, that's a that's a really good question. Also, if we scoot back six months, I was placing orders for goods that will land in November. Now, what's, what's going to happen in November? Despite the fact it seems pretty clear, there's not going to be another round of stimulus checks, and that will wipe out a good portion of my customers there may be a surplus of goods when it comes time to release uh, items next month. There may be 
a hell of a lot less people with money to spare for luxuries such as plastic toys. So it is sort of impossible to do. Uh, I always err on the side of, you know, my ideal target is to have enough inventory to last a day in the store. I think that that is the most reasonable one that I can strive for. Dougal, too, and the uh, sort of capsule, that was exactly that. It lasted 24 hours. Perfect. That gives everybody time to get it. Gives our friends in Europe time to wake up. Gives our friends on the West Coast plenty of time to get their ducats in order. Gives people who are stuck at work a chance to escape on their lunch break or hit the store after work. That's great. That's ideal. Something like Malarkey Jack, which I went heavy on, was intended to be a a character sticking in the store for several weeks, and it looks like I'm going to get my wish. (laughs) Although, there's not a ton of him left. Uh, Number two, regarding pandemic changes to the forecast, um, who the hell knows? You know, if this year has been so up and down, and I think that you know, the future is going to be very up and down. If you had told me in January when I was getting messages from China that things were shutting down, that my business would be up in the spring and summer because everybody's stuck at home and they have stimulus checks and they have, you know, time to pursue hobbies and they like getting stuff in the mail, I never would have guessed that. So, you know, the pandemic is a wrinkle in things, but it is also indicative of a much bigger trend in that instability is coming in bigger ways and will be a a part of the global economy for quite some time. People will try to stabilize it, but I think that this is unfortunately going to become more and more common. When do I think the current supply and demand levels will be balanced out? I, I don't know that they will. I do think we will have minor successes. I think Malarkey Jack is a success because he's still available and he sold, I sold a shit ton of him, but it's also a nice figure that people who are new can go into the store weeks later and see and find. I think Google 2 was a success. Uh, had I not had a limit one on them, it probably would have sold out in the first hour, and that would have been a little less of a success. I think that um, the trend we're going to see is, and this is a goal I've been working towards for a while, is to have... If I can get to have one style that stays around in the store for some time, be a sort of evergreen, then I'll be happy. Now, we have the Vice Rift Killers. Those are those were sort of evergreen. They're there. People can still get them. I just somebody just came in, brand new customer this morning, and bought one of every style. Uh, Vice Radic, he's there. He should be hanging around for a while. You know, I've been trying to create more of an experience for new customers where they get to the store and they're not just seeing sold out. There's at least one style in there. So if I can work that out, uh, you know, I think that that will be a sort of good thing. Now, there's still going to be stuff that flies in and out. There's still stuff that are lower runs or tacked on to an order and, you know, are not a full release per se. But... um, that's sort of what I'm shooting for. Um, to the question number four, uh, is supply and demand balance something I wish to achieve or do I want somewhat limited supply? With all that being said, I still do need stuff to sell out. I still do need there to be a chase. That is all we have here. Um, you know, these are plastic toys that are relatively expensive and I'm... Uh, essentially going for the same dollar as the people who buy Marvel Legends or buy Star Wars Black Series or buy NECA or buy McFarlane. And those toy lines are all a much better value than my figure. So what I have is the marketing, I have the storytelling, and I have the perceived scarcity and value of these. That's what's working in my favor. That's what sort of propels um, sales and the buzz and the excitement. Now, I try not to make things completely inaccessible because I don't I don't like when that happens to me. I think that's pretty shitty. Um, but yeah, I think that some level of scarcity and limited additions is vital to what Knights of the Slice are. Another example of why that's crucial, we had our campaign coming up. A bunch of squires put up old styles. They 
they cashed them in. They got some money and they funneled it into the campaign. I've had people reach out to me say, I've been unemployed for a while. You know, uh, I sold my collection and I was able to pay rent. That's fantastic. That's great. I'm happy for that. I've had friends that do not collect toys whatsoever, but back the first Kickstarter. And then they are having a baby. They're buying a house. They send me an email and they say, hey, I, I found these Knights of the Slice. You know, what should I do with them? And I, I'm always like, sell them. Sell that Purple Knight. My God, go for it. You know, I'm happy that there's a resale value for these things. I think it's done a lot of good that I've seen. Grant Saunders, is traditional sculpting a dying art in the toy industry? I understand it's easier and more economical to sculpt digitally and send files, especially for bigger companies. Don't get me wrong, digital sculpting takes a ton of talent and dedication. I just personally find a charm to some of the toys I know are hand sculpted. I guess because I've seen how involved it is firsthand, I think the modern, latest modern example of traditional sculpting was the Toxic Crusader Keshi from Super 7, but I think the newer Keshi is all digitally rendered. And I'm wondering if there's more modern examples that I don't know about. Um, you know, digital sculpting is a tool in the toolbox, and it is neither good nor bad. It just depends on how often that tool is used or overused. Knights of Slice is sort of a hybrid. We, we go through so many different stages. Some characters are largely all digital, but almost every single character gets hand-tweaked by Dowdy prior to tooling. So, you know, I don't, I don't think traditional sculpting is going away. I do think it's becoming rarer and rarer. It is something I like to use as much as possible. There are some figures that were hand sculpted and then scanned completely and became a digital sculpt. Um, so I think it's just, you know, it's simply a thing that exists without a a positive or negative value to it. Um, I do think you can see when a line is all digital and the thing that betrays it is symmetry. When you see a toy and it's perfectly symmetrical, it doesn't quite fool your brain. It tricks a, a couple trip lines and you know that they probably should have spent some more time going in there and making it asymmetrical and adding little details and spending more time on it. The problem with digital is that you can sort of be very lazy and get a complete figure sculpt done. And um, I'm certainly guilty of it. There are some, some items and some accessories that have perfect symmetry that bother me very much that I wish I had had more time to sort of work out and tweak. But uh, largely, I think that's where my head's at with that. Eric Valverde, is there still room to ask a question? <laughs> Uh, yeah, we got a lot to go. With growth and limited assistance, do you foresee a day where you have to cease this part and do not have as much time to answer questions? Uh, or do you have to put limits on your Q&A? Um, I think so. I, we may be fast approaching that, but what would likely happen is I would not stop doing Q&A. I think that... Oh, just knocked over something. Hold on. Just knocked over a room diffuser, and now my hand smells like a old-timey whore's boudoir. Back to the question. What will likely happen is uh, I will still solicit Q&As and theoretically in this dream world of mine, I have an assistant and they can compile and put together the questions that get fed to me and they sort of uh, may weed out duplicate questions or things that have been brought up before. We, we still got some time. I do think Q&As are the most important part of what I do with you guys. It's a very important part of the community. And it helps me a lot. So while I may have to minimize certain other aspects of my interactions, like Facebook or things like that, um, I'm going to make sure to keep the Q&As. This is, this is super important. Moving along, Matt Connolly. Can a dolls be used to hack with or against a hacker man? Will it have a peg to plug right in? Methinks some dolls can be used for good and evil. Can a dolls then hack a Send 5 unit? Um, I'm not sure yet. I haven't entirely had the, uh, the sort of time and space to, to sit with the dolls and think about all the ramifications of it. Number two, does, Vezer, does Leather Knight ever visit Pangea and does he know Chromega? Um, I believe Leather Knight is dead. I think, I could be mistaken, but I think when Gamma Guy incinerates 
a night of the slice during a training exercise in the sub city mini comic i believe that that is leather night um i would have to compare notes with gavin i forgot who we decided that was it's in black and white so you can't really tell but i think that that was uh what we had come up with is the subsidiary is the sub city bomber heading to sub city's rescue um no but somebody else is number four is marson handing out vect to trick-or-treaters this year probably i would say so is there a diver named Stella and she always down below Subcity? You know it. Number six, what character in the Nice of Slice universe is most likely to dress like Hob on Hobbaween? Um, boy, that's a good question. I guess the dolls, right? That would make sense. Moving along, John Emmett, if you were designing an articulated action figure and had to leave out some joints, which would I prefer? One, knees with no ankle or vice versa. Uh, wrist swivel and and no elbow or vice versa um let's see that's a good question i think i would do hmm i think i would do knees but no ankle i think because i do like to have a wrist swivel and i do like elbow articulation um i'm sort of less concerned with the lower half of the body um in terms of like articulation and things like that. I don't know if that makes a whole hell of a lot of sense, but I think that the arms and the hands are really crucial to my play patterns uh, as opposed to, you know, um, the legs in some respects. So I I think that's where I would lead. Um, Other questions from John. How are knockoff figures made? Do factories just take existing tools and use them? Do they take the time to re-sculpt the parts? Uh, it's definitely both. There's all sorts of different operations. They may, you know, sometimes they're buying a figure off of the shelf at a store and just trying to copy it and making tooling. Sometimes they steal tools. You know, for bigger operations, if you're making a Batman toy for Spin Master, let's say, you may be running three different identical steel tools to meet your quantity demands you know we only make one tool of each figure but for bigger operations you oftentimes will have multiple tools you may also license to other uh areas of the globe the same tooling so you know uh like fun school in india doing gi joe guys for example um so there's lots of different ways to do it and they are getting sort of more and more uh intricate i would say in some cases also they are not utilizing the tooling, but they're they're stealing discarded product. They're paying the factory line extra to run more figures overnight and sell them out the back door. There's any number of sort of scheming that happens here. If I ever considered light piping for a character, it's one of John's favorite simple gimmicks. I have, but um, to do light piping really well, it actually requires a bit more sophisticated and sophistication and tooling than I like to do because you need to use ABS which is the harder firmer plastic um, which you know the majority of my figures are made out of PVC and then the light vein itself has to be a separate tool a separate density of ABS plastic Um, that's how you really get that effect like the Kenner shadow figures are really great at that so if you ever popped one of those open you're contemplating three different parts. You have, you know, let's say it's a torso and a head connected. So you have the front plate of that, you have the back plate of that, and then you have the light vein inside. That's three, you know, pretty comprehensive pieces of tooling cavities, as opposed to standard PVC figure that I make, which is just one tool in comparison. So it's it's something I have always admired and liked. I don't know that there's an opportunity to do it because it adds such complexity. I guess I would have to have a character that, you know, really utilized that function in a major way before I could, you know, I'd have to sort of backward engineer it from there. First question on Patreon, Lori Herbst. In regards to Diver, considering that the previous Thick Boys came in pairs, Radic coming with Hackerman, Sen5 coming with Chromega, and that pairs are based on specific locations, the Vector, Pangea Island, 
What can we expect for Diver? I'm certain he'll be part of a sub-city, but who might be the other half? Some sort of undersea monster? A liquid beast? Some old hero related to the depth? Whenever he comes out, I'm excited for Diver and will sell my liver to get a Muton color scheme. Um, please hold on to your organs. You might need those. Uh, I'm going to answer this in the exact way it was phrased. In regards to considering... Uh, in regards to Diver... Bah, 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 what can we expect? I would say expect nothing. And it will be a wonderful surprise and very fulfilling. Next up, Matthew Paquette, question and a suggestion. You promised more cloth goods, anything to reveal? Suggestion, white lab coat. Um, I like where your head's at. So uh, there are many new cloth goods, and I actually have been contemplating if one of those is going to go out as a Patreon gift to sort of show off uh, these new wares. Um, I haven't quite figured out what the next Patreon gift is, uh, that is a contender in my mind. Um, as you guys also saw in the live stream, there is a larger sort of gray, uh, almost like a robe. You know, it looks like a sort of Middle Eastern pirate's robe. Um, that one is out there in the ether. You can find a picture of it. That one will definitely be happening as well. Um, so I guess nothing specific to reveal other than I am contemplating a Patreon gift being a cloth item. And I think people will literally lose their shit when they see it. So, um, I guess just hang in there and we'll see. Lance Tomimoto's got a few questions here. Man satchels, merses, man bags, yay or nay? Um, I say yay. You know, in, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about in real life, not with action figures. Although it's a yay for me with action figures as well. Um, I'm, I'm, I like to travel with a lot of shit. I like to have a sketchbook with me at all times. I like to have some snacks. Uh, obviously, like, uh, you know, emergency supplies, stuff like that, even if I'm just going out for a brief walk. Um, so I'm, I'm into sort of parcels and, and ways, satchels, things to enclose all the gear I need. Uh, I see no problem with that. Lately, I've been rocking the fanny pack. I think that's it's a great look. Uh, you know, I have no qualms about other people having hesitations about how a fanny pack looks. They're super convenient. And um, I say, however you want to carry your stuff, I think that's okay. Lance also asked, do I send free product to the craftsman? Um, I have in the past. Uh, not to try to curry favor or get my figures covered by him. I just, you know, I enjoy corresponding with him. We, we send each other emails back and forth quite a bit. He seems like, by all accounts, a very genuine guy. And, um, you know, maybe one day we'll do something together. Who knows? Gabe Tovar. Rex Vaughn Saima get invited to a costume party on Halloween night. What costumes do each of them choose to go in? Uh, Gabe, very interesting question. Um, why don't you ask me this at the end of October so I don't spoil anything for anybody? Thank you. Back to Lance. In the Palisades, Micronauts re-releases. Did I like their expanded accessories and offerings for the classic characters? I, I did, but the, you know, the sort of fragility of that line, the, the way they broke almost instantly, while that is pretty in keeping with Microman, um, it was clearly sort of defective materials. And that, that sort of taints the experience of the Palisades relaunches. Um, I just, I don't enjoy that line. I, I don't know whose fault it was. I know these things can kind of come up during production, but huge missed opportunity. And I think that that actually affected the ability for Micronauts to have a longer life, um, you know, further down the line. I think that really was uh, a black mark on, uh, on the brand. Chris Solis asked an interesting question. Is there a staging era behind between the real world and the vector a void one could stay slash hide in i don't want to go too in detail to this but i will say that there are cowards exits and if you don't know what that is you should google it check it out that is a distinct feature of the vector that uh, i have yet that i have sort of earmarked in my storytelling but have yet not found a, an avenue in which to explore that. But I would say that that is one of the features I'm comfortable uh, telling people that 
that does actually exist in, you know, in the realm of your question. Philip Rara, have I ever created art under any substance, alcohol, weed, etc.? Once in a while, uh, I myself will safely get drunk to draw some stuff off visceral and impulse. Interesting to see what I made under the influence. Um, I mean, when I was younger, yeah, you know, not, not huge into drugs. And, um, you know, my younger years, I didn't have any relationship to weed whatsoever. Definitely a heavy drinker. Glad to be over that hill. That was not a fun period. Um, I generally find, you know, being sober during art creation is a much, much better frame of mind for me. It's probably different for everybody else. Uh, especially like when it comes to life drawing classes where I'm intently focused on something. Uh, I do need to be just totally sort of clear-minded. Um, it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. That's just how my brain works. I, I think the process of creation for me works better without other substances facilitating it. Gordon McKinnon Hall has a Halloween question. What are your favorite toy representations of classic monsters like Dracula, Wolfman, Creature? Uh, not necessarily licensed from the Universal Monsters, but representations of those archetypes. Um, the uh, Playmates line Monster Force, I thought, had really cool takes on this exact notion. Um, I would also say um, Resurrection of the Monstrous, if that is the name I'm remembering correctly, which is the, um, the sort of uh, feuder Japanese heavily sculpted, crazy female, you know, uh, characters. I, I've mentioned this line quite a bit before. And um, I, I think that that's, you know, truly one of the greats. Gary Arnold, do I have any upcoming Shikan releases planned? Are there other licensed characters in the pipeline to join Knights of the Slice? Gabe chimes in that it's been a minute since we've seen Shikan. Definitely one of my favorite collabs. He's such a tall boy, too. Uh, well, Gary, I'm happy to announce for the first time there is more Shikan. Um, the next release will likely be on Robert Cross's website. Uh, I just need to get through this big fulfillment stage that I'm in this week, and then him and I will sort of have the rollout plan. It will likely happen in October, which is appropriate because Shikan really is a kind of a spooky character. So uh, I'm very pleased to announce that. You will also see some of Shikan's parts making an appearance in the main Knights of the Slice line. As far as licensed characters in the pipeline to join Knights of the Slice, nothing is solidified. I am, of course, always interested in opportunities that fit the same mold as Shikan. That makes sense. It's got to be sort of small. It's got to be creator-owned. It's got to be something I'm really, I love and I'm passionate about. Um, it's an, you know, it's an ongoing discussion, but it's so far away from being a tangible thing, uh, I don't have anything to announce in that regard. Chris Black has an interesting question here. In light of the already successful Rokum Toys Kickstarter and my own recent successful crowdfunding campaign, I'd like to know what mountain would have to be moved for Matt Dowdy to try and crowdfund any of his creative endeavors. With you being friends with Matt, I'm hoping your insight could give us leverage we need to somehow push the man into giving it a shot. I would love to see Recklin and Aves as production figures before I die. I'm with you on the last part for sure. I would love to see Recklin and Aves. Um, so I'm going to answer this, but this is my own conjecture. This is not Matt Dowdy's opinion. Um, you know, we're, we're pretty closely aligned, but I don't want to speak for him. And I don't want to give you guys the uh, mistaken, uh, you know, feeling that I'm like gleaning from conversations or notes Matt and I have had. I'm just totally guessing here. Um, I don't, I don't see him doing crowdfunding and it's not because there isn't, you know, a positive benefit to that. And I don't think he would shy away from the work that it would require to do that. I just don't think it's necessary for the business model he has. Um, Matt has built, you know, over a decade of, uh, hard work, a sustainable business. And so for Matt, the question is not how do I sort of make the next figure I want? I, I don't think the, that is the problem. I think Matt can just wait and do releases and continue to put profit aside to unlock new figures. And he gets to do it on his own time and without 
the sort of expectation or the requirement of fulfilling, fulfilling for pre-orders and things like that, you know. Um, that's kind of an ideal place to be. Now, for collectors like me, and I'm assuming Chris Black and, and some of our younger fans, that weight seems unbearable, right? Because we want more toys more often. Um, but I'm not sure that's the right way to do it. I mean, my business is that way, but it is breakneck and I'm working seven days a week. And, uh, you know, it's, it's backbreaking. Um, I kind of think the way Matt does it is better. We don't know necessarily what the next figure is going to be from him until you get that teaser a week before it's on sale, you know? So I don't know that there, there is a strategic benefit to the specific business Matt has built. I think he, he's got a ship. It sails just fine. Um, I'm not sure inheriting all the extra work that comes with crowdfunding is ultimately going to be worth it for him. Um, I too hope we get Reckland and Naves. I think over a long enough time period, we will. I mean, we, we just got the Delphi after so long. So I would say, you know, Matt will get to all these things eventually. We just have to be patient as fans of his. But, you know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is some great ambitious play he has in the back of his mind that crowdfunding would be a perfect avenue for. Just my sort of knee-jerk reaction is, eh, I I wouldn't expect to see, you know, an official O'Neill design product on there. But uh, if he did decide to do that, he would obviously have my axe pledged to his cause, and I would uh, help uh, manage whatever he needed me to along those lines. Back to Gabe. While at it with the current spooky season, have I ever had a paranormal experience in my life? I have. Uh, I think I've talked about this in previous Nostazapods. I grew up in what I consider to be a haunted house. It was, I want to say the house was from the 1800s, early 1800s. And there was a lot of spooky stuff that happened there. Uh, I also had kind of a weird, um, what I felt was a sort of UFO sighting or interaction when I lived in Florida. I think I've also spoke about this on DeSazapod, possibly in the Harley and Marley episode. So you might have to go back and find that. Um, I say those things without a full... I'm not fully bought in that these were actually paranormal experiences. I think our perception has a lot to do with what we deem paranormal and not. These could be sort of naturally occurring phenomenon, but they felt very real to me at the time. And frankly, the the chance that there are paranormal things out there makes life much more exciting. So uh, without buying in full hog, uh, I would say that I've had things I couldn't easily explain or that felt otherworldly happened in my life for sure. Next up, DP Workman. Number one, did I ever make a Halloween costume? Uh, or have a Halloween costume made for me by my family? Number two, has anyone done any Knights of the Slice cosplay? These are great questions. So one, I didn't, uh, we did not celebrate Halloween or any holidays, so not really. I did used to make what then was not called cosplay costumes of Marvel superheroes and, and DC superheroes. I made a Captain America costume out of old t-shirts. I made a Nightcrawler costume and painted my face blue. So I was always sort of, you know, doing cosplay before that existed. I would sometimes also wear these superhero costumes under my real clothes to school. Very, very nerdy kid. Um, although when I turned like 17 or 18 and, uh, you know, my parents were divorced and nobody was paying any attention to what was going on in the household. Then I did sort of get to go out for Halloween, which of course I dressed as Marilyn Manson, obviously, as any red-blooded American around 1997 would do. Has anyone ever done any Nice to Slice cosplay? Absolutely. In fact, we had a costume contest a few years back, and I was sort of considering firing that up again for this October, but in truth, I'm just so busy. I haven't even had a moment to sit and think and post that. Uh, I don't know where the photos are archived, maybe somewhere on Facebook, but there was a costume contest. People could make their own Night of the Slice 
gear and um, that was a lot of fun there were a lot of people that entered um, so you might want to dig back and see if you can find that also you know Nikki myself and Jack we cosplay as Knights of the Slice all the time we have professional grade costumes that were made in Japan by a tokusatsu uh, outfitter um, and uh, I also have separately a, an, an additional helmet that was crafted by the guy who made the helmets on Power Rangers Season 1 in the U.S., Jerry Macaluso. So, um, Knights of Slice cosplay definitely exists. If it's, you know, amongst the three of me, Jack, and Nikki, it's, uh, these are pretty high-tech, state-of-the-art costumes, uh, and then it goes on down the line with uh, our fans and customers coming up with their own concoctions. Scott Page has got a couple good questions. Hope you're hanging in there, buddy, across the river. How many of your childhood drawings do I retain? Are there volumes of Dostazapod childhood originals? Do I go... Did I go through a phase as a childhood uh, illustrator? For example, Scott started off as a strong dinosaur phase, then Star Wars, then World War II. All great questions. Um, so I have about a banker's box full of childhood drawings. There's probably more than that, but that's what I've been able to sort of retain and hold on to. Um, I don't know that there's more uh, in my possession than a single banker's box. There may be, you know, there's probably some stuff scattered at, uh, you know, at my mom's house or, um, you know, wherever. So it's not a unending well of, uh, of work. The other thing is 90% of this banker's box are unfinished drawings. Recently, I posted that sort of unfinished Send 5 drawing that's just him and one arm. That's the majority of the collected works. It's stuff I, I couldn't even finish an entire drawing in most cases there's a lot of like fragments of comic stories and a lot of s starts and stops I think that was probably the biggest thing I had to get over as an artist was understanding you don't have to finish something you are still practicing art to me for most of my life I thought that if I couldn't complete an entire character and universe and comic story series and animation pitch I wasn't an artist, and these these things and these characters didn't exist. And once I was able to understand that it's all incremental, every single sketch and doodle and throwaway drawing, all is part of a body of work of a single person, and that's all super crucial and important, it wasn't until I came to understand that that I really became the artist I am today. To be able to let go of the expectation of finishing something and just enjoy the craft itself. So I did want to point that out and I do want to encourage other people to find that understanding. Um, there were certainly phases. I, like you, started heavily with dinosaurs very early on. Um, there's definitely, there's a big Robocop phase I went through. Batman, you know, around 88, 89 when Batman came out, a lot of my drawings turned into that and specifically the Axis Chemicals scene, I was obsessed with that. I just thought it was, you know, it was incredible. Um, and then, you know, like, as I get to, like, middle school and high school, I started to be able to tell comic stories. And that's where Rex Gannon started. That's where um, Harley and Marley started. And really being in school and having blue-lined notebooks and, you know, when you're supposed to be paying attention, I was just sort of drawing sequential comics. So that's when, like, you know, the phase of kind of a sophisticated storytelling comes into play. So excellent question. Thank you for that. Another one from Scott Page. When you mention adjusting or tweaking figures, is the tooling only limited to a subtractive process? Do adjustments require retooling? Or is there a way the factory adds metal to the tool by welding and then machining the weld area? Or does it require a completely new tool? Um, I think all of these things are possible. Uh, typically, you can, you can have an additive revision or a subtractive revision to a tool. You are almost perfectly naming the 
process that happens. Although I think, um, in some respects, it's it's um, done via computer now, where they have a sort of die drill that is programmed in there, as opposed to somebody getting in there with elbow grease and and a torch and and kind of fixing these things. So it's a little bit of all these things. Um, the process is very based on what needs to be done. Um, typically, I try to avoid needing a completely new tool because that's very expensive and that takes so much longer as opposed to just like taking an existing tool and, and making a tweak. Um, very soon you guys will see a new head that will make an appearance in the Knights of the Slice. This came to be because there was a little surplus cavity in a tool and we were able to add one after the fact. So you're going to get to meet this new character sometime soon and that was because of uh, a tool that was revised after we didn't need it for production at that moment and um, you're gonna get to have a hands-on experience with that very soon one more from Scott uh, what sort of mount do I envision Chromega riding atop during his terrestrial battles or his plunder do you see him riding atop something reptilian a mega mammal saber-toothed cat or is he a chariot kind of guy uh, I don't want to answer this in the very small but very possible chance that I will be able to show you this at some point in the future. So I don't want to jinx it, and I'm going to say no comment for now. Uh, moving on to Michael Berger, congrats on the success of Toy Pizza X Acid Rain collab. Will there be additional figures in this line beyond the cowboy? So um, this collaboration is really the annex, which is Kit Lau's new sort of creative universe and we're just passengers in the annex we we are along for the ride it is kit's world and he's letting us play in the sandbox a little bit uh if you haven't seen already there is uh detective smith and his giant robotic counterpart that had been mentioned you can pick those up on big bad toy store or at pia club um we are certainly in discussion to add additional colorways and additional characters Kit is as busy as I am. Kit is even more busy, as you can imagine. He has a huge empire at his, you know, under his purview. So um, we both want to do more. I think it's just going to come down to how long it takes and what can we conceivably get done with the limited hours in the day that, uh, that Kit has. But I'm excited. I want to do more for sure. Chris Warner asks a really... Seemingly simple, but very challenging question. Mask or Dino Riders? And um, this is a tough one. This is really hard. I would say, I've had to think about this a bit, but I guess I would land on Dino Riders. Just because I think it's a little more creative. It's a little more sci-fi. It's a little more adventurous. Mask is really fucking great. That's a great line. But if anything... It's kind of real world-ish, you know? It's utilizing vehicles that we know in the real world. It's it's a much more grounded story than I think Donner Riders are. Um, but this was a really tough one, because I love both those lines. They play well together. Um, I think ultimately I gotta go with Donner Riders, because I love dinosaurs, and I veer towards more sci-fi, sort of science fantasy properties than I do um, you know, race cars and things like that. Final question from our patron. Brent Lawson, Device Ninjas, Transparent Colors, please. These are some of my favorite nights. Um, so I get this question quite a bit. People want more Device Ninjas. There are, there's definitely going to be more Device Ninjas this year. I have a re-release planned. It ties into Turbo Atoll. So I sort of have to get what is likely going to be issue number one of Turbo Atoll done. And then we can have a little resurgence of ninjas because they, as you will see, they play heavily into that. And I think it's it's really fantastic. I've never had something for device ninjas to really do narrative-wise, and now I do, and I'm excited about it. So um, hang in there. There are some on the way. I would say we're not going to see any fully painted deluxe device ninjas probably until next year at best. Heading over now to Facebook questions, we're going to start with Mike Johnson. 
Will we ever see broken variants for other Knight of the Slice helmets, Riftkiller, Vector Jump, etc.? Um, I'd never thought of that until this moment, and it's an interesting idea. I don't know how likely that is, largely because the trajectory for Knights of the Slice is getting further and further away from those classic knight styles and more towards newer, more interesting characters. It's not to say that, you know, Rift Killers and Vector Jumps don't have a role to play in the newer stories, but, um, you know, I, I just cursory uh, taking in mental inventory, I don't see an opportunity for a helmet like that because a lot of the alternate heads and helmets coming out have very, very specific purposes. Ian Amling chimes in, talk to us about Hasbro PulseCon. What are my thoughts? Well, largely, I think you could say you could not find a pulse. <laughs> Ooh, um, largely boring and disappointing. A couple cool things, a couple things, you know, I- I'll be buying. I mean, I buy a lot of Hasbro product. I'm not going to be uh, you know, I don't pretend to abstain out of uh, petulance or anything like that. But largely, I, I think, you know, they are creatively bankrupt. Um, now, this is probably not the fault of the designers, the individuals that work there, but rather the larger corporate mentality, I think, stamps out creativity over a long enough time period. Hasbro really functions to... You know, their main focus seems to be announcing films that never happen just to make their chair people and their board happy and to inflate their stock price. I don't think they're actually very interested in making toys or innovating in the toy space. Um, their three and three quarter inch Marvel line is essentially just, you know, taking what, what Super 7 has made so popular over the past few years and uh, doing their own version of it. You know, now you may say, oh, but Hasbro invented that look. Hasbro, you know, owns Kenner. They may own Kenner, but Kenner was a separate company altogether. Now, of course, Super 7 were heavily inspired by Kenner's efforts in their reaction line. But Hasbro was not part of the equation back then. Hasbro simply, you know, used their capital to purchase Kenner and absorb them into you know, their, uh, their tentacled maw, if you will. I also think, and I know largely you guys disagree with me, those holiday themed, the Christmas repaint Star Wars figures, I think are absolute shit. And I think that that, more than anything else, is an indicator of cashing in and trying to get a seasonal buck. And really, like I said, creative bankruptcy. Um, as disappointing and lackluster, as I thought Hasbro PulseCon was, it at least infuses me with energy because I think we are doing what's interesting together. I think to have this sort of autonomous pirate ship and to be able to continue to fund characters that wouldn't make sense in the mass market and uh, do it without any restrictions, just by ourselves, I think that's where the real juice and the excitement is in toy making. It's not at these uh, big multi-global corporations. Jason Rushlow, sorry, a few characters have multiple figures such as Teal and uh, Teal OG and Rift Killer Teal. Will Brick ever get a new figure or has he had or has he already? Um, I've thought about this but I don't know what the right opportunity is going to be for a new Brick figure. I also got to figure out Will he make an appearance in the story of Knights of the Slice again? Which is a big sort of uh, way to uh, determine if, you know, there's going to be a new figure needed. Allison Johnson asks, if I'm a mind reader, and here's why. We're going to go back to her original post from a few months ago. She requested that Mike Johnson draw, and she quotes, a big blob soda monster Mountain Dew attacking a gang and they have to try and stop it. Although they, uh, but they can't all attacks fall flat due to it being liquid. Um, so am I a mind reader? No. What is happening here and what has happened quite a few times is that we're all sort of plugged in onto the same vibrational plane, right? We're all interested in the same stuff 
You guys are tuning in every day, you're getting the news briefs, you're listening to Stazapod. And because of that, a sort of hive mind forms. We start to think along the same subconscious uh, level. And that's why a lot of times people will will make a suggestion for a figure that's actually done and about to come out. This has happened at least a dozen times throughout the five or six years we've been doing this. So uh, I'm not surprised. I am not a mind reader, but I'm not surprised this happens. Um, it's happened quite a few times that I haven't called it out because I didn't want to spoil a surprise. But this is what, you know, being sort of plugged in into a very interesting idea is. It, it, it just it fires all the synapses in your mind and you're subconsciously picking up things that you may not realize you are. And uh, it's always exciting to see that sort of synchronicity. Philip Barrara asks, what's my favorite go-to art supply store? His are Michaels for resin and Joanna for clay. Um, I gotta go with uh, Dick Blick because I worked at Dick Blick um, during high school and I loved it very much. It was a great job. It was the only way I could afford to have nice art materials in my very early sort of drawing stages. I kept that job when I left high school and uh, eventually, you know, had it up until I uh, moved out of Connecticut. Um, I would also say The Complete Sculptor, which is a New York City store. I don't know if they're still open. They may have been a victim of the terrible pandemic. That is a really, really intense store. They got tools and gadgets and gizmos. It's very much unpolished. It is truly a place for, you know, highest level artists, people that are like metal sculptors and, you know, people working in the galleries in Chelsea, which is right nearby, um, really like top tier it's, it's sort of like Home Depot for nerds like us. Um, so those would be my picks. Lance has got a couple more questions. Do I ever check out Ross for figures? Um, no, I, I don't really go to those, um, you know, Rosses or TJ Maxx's unless I have a reason to. I mean, honestly, I don't go out unless I have a reason to. And I don't go to, um, you know, stores and uh, retailers unless I absolutely... Uh, have to. Like, if, if I don't go to Target every month and just walk around, I, I tend to feel a little batty. So, um, I don't, although I think, if I'm not mistaken, Bobby Torres found me one of those uh, Fortress Maximus from, from Transformers for like 30 bucks at Ross. And uh, that was much appreciated. By the way, Bobby Torres runs This Toy Life, a brick and mortar store, which is now fully open. You do have to wear a mask and gloves, but it is uh, the destination for Night of the Slice fans in Connecticut. I think our boy, Jerry Boo, just went there and picked up some stuff. So uh, check them out at This Toy Life. Moving along, Chris Warner, what are some of my sought-after figures from the big box stores? Uh, I'm I'm good right now. Uh, Typically, I'll put a call out if I'm trying to hunt something down. Uh, Usually, I do that on Discord or, you know, um, through the Patreon. Uh, right now, I'm good. I, I feel like I got all the modern toys I need, and um, there's so much night-related work in front of me, I, you know, I'm not thinking about much else at this moment. Jordan Silva, do I ever do Gundam models or anything along those lines? Um, I sort of have phases of this, but yes, I, I have been a very big scale modeler, um, my, my sort of particular, uh, genre, I guess, or category is Machine Krieger. I love those kits very much, and I, I feel like I've done some of my best work in model kit building and painting with my Mac K kits. Um, I also like really oddball stuff. There's these Japanese medieval knights that are like historically accurate, that I really like. I have a ton of kits. Um, I don't get time to build them. I've told myself that I will no longer buy any model kits until I work through, you know, the 50 or so that are sitting in the basement waiting to be built. And I've actually, I actually did 
liquidate quite a few kits that I was just never going to get to. Those are now for sale at this Toy Life, Bobby Torres. Um, uh, I, I certainly built my fair share of Gundam kits, especially during that big wave of them coming over here in the late 90s, early aughts, around like G Gundam and Gundam Wing time. Uh, in that apartment I've referenced before, 808, me, Bobby, and Josh were certainly building a lot of uh, Gundam kits while listening to Interpol. Jesse Hensley asks, what do I think of the new 4-inch Halo line? I haven't encountered it yet, but I'm looking forward to doing so, and uh, I'll give you a full breakdown once I do. Um, I should say I'm not putting a bounty out for people to get me the Jazzwares Halo line because I do like to encounter things in the wild. I think that's an important part of the ritual. So I'm looking forward to uh, crossing paths with them. Final question from Alan Ludwig Gadbois. Will we ever see what's under the mask of the Dougal? And maybe a backstory of how he came to be. Is he a creation of Dr. Matt or maybe Marson? Do tell. Um, well, I would always recommend people check the item descriptions if they're looking for little tidbits of story. That's uh, always going to be the case with figures. What I will say is that um, I don't know what's under Hackerman's mask yet. So it's difficult for me to imagine how that comes across or, or sort of, you know, gets shown to the audience because I don't have that question answered yet. Perhaps Turbo Atoll will give us a little peek of that. And that's going to do it for today's Pod. Thank you guys for all the wonderful questions. Um, Captain PZ is in the process of being packed up and shipped out. It is a very, very large process. This is the single biggest best-selling figure for me so I need a lot of time to get these orders out the door you will start to see people with PZ in hand rest assured yours is on the way I'm working diligently day and night to get them out and I'm very excited for you to finally get this collectible in hand it is amazing it's a lot of fun so thank you guys uh, I hope you've enjoyed this Dostazapod and the only thing left to say is pizza out A quick post-Dostazapod update on Monday, this Monday, October 12th, at around 8 p.m., we're going to have a live stream, and then we are going to launch our next Halloween figure around 9 o'clock. Now, this is 9 p.m. Eastern Time. This is not our usual standard store release time of about noon Eastern Time. So, special note, the next sort of date on the Halloween calendar will be Monday. We'll start live streaming on twitch.tv slash Knights of the Slice around 8 o'clock, and that will lead us to the store opening at uh, 9 o'clock Eastern Time again. We're also going to reveal some special surprises, so it's going to be a lot of fun, and uh, I'm looking forward to it. We'll see you there. <laughs>